told that God is loving and kind and just and intrinsically good. But when someone like myself points out the rather obvious and compelling evidence that God is cruel and unjust because he visits suffering on innocent people of a scope and scale that would, would embarrass the most ambitious psychopath, okay, we're told that God is mysterious. Okay, who can understand God's will? Okay, and yet this is precisely, this merely human understanding of God's will is precisely what believers use to establish his goodness in the first place. You know, something good happens to a Christian. Some, he feels some bliss while praying, say, or he sees some positive change in his life, and we're told that God is good. Okay, but when children by the tens of thousands are torn from their parents' arms and drowned, we're told that God is mysterious. Any God who would allow children by the millions to suffer and die in this way, and their parents to grieve in this way, either can do nothing to help them or doesn't care to. He is therefore either impotent or evil. If, if your concept of a creator is someone who's all-powerful and all-good, and I look at disasters that afflict Earth and life on Earth, volcanoes, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, disease, pestilence, um, congenital birth defects. You look at this list of ways that life is made miserable on Earth by natural causes. And I just ask, how do you deal with that? If there is a God, God is either not all powerful or not all good. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the well here at STSA. Great to see so many people, so many people that uh, it's great. The ushers told me, actually, if they asked me to, if you guys had like a couple extra seats between you guys as people are walking in, try to fill in those empty seats if you can. But I'm looking out and I'm seeing there's not actually that many extra seats. But if you do have one seat between you or something like that, if you could fill those in, because that way people, when they come in, can take the aisles. We'd appreciate it. Why I'm especially happy to see so many people here today that means that I didn't offend you too much, okay, over the past few weeks, which is always a, a win, okay? We're in, on part three of a series called Clear the Air. We've been talking about some serious stuff right here, and I tell you right up front, the reason why I'm doing this series, okay, I'm not trying to dance around the topic, is because my heart breaks for people who have left God. People who have walked away, kind of grew up, connected to God, connected to the church, and then walked away for what I believe is a wrong reason. All right, what I believe is, is, a is not really a reason to walk away. I believe a lot of people walk away from God for something they perceive, as we heard in those very convincing videos that we play in the opener every week. Like, your video, that, like that's some compelling stuff. And every week we're bringing some of these clips up here at the opening from people who are proud atheists, okay, and they tell you why believing in God is not something that a logical, rational, level-headed person should do. And they're very convincing. So what I'm doing is I'm not apologizing right here. Like, I'm asking you if you've walked away from God or distanced yourself from God to reconsider. That's all the series is. It's just an invitation to maybe, just maybe, the reason that you walked away isn't really true. And maybe some of the stuff that you were told or some of the stuff that you tell others, maybe I'm trying to get you to reconsider and say, is that even something true in the first place? Because I hear all this stuff. I hear, how could, just like we heard in a video, how could I believe in a God who? 
How can I go to a church that? Why would I read a Bible that makes me believe? I hear all that stuff. And sometimes I'm listening to that stuff and I'm like, you know what? Listen, I'll tell you something right here. If you struggle with this stuff, let me tell you a classic. If you're into debate, you know this. A classic tool of debate, how debate works. You know how debate works? You know the easiest way to debate, especially when it's online videos and books and your person can't respond to you? The easiest way to win any debate is you do the following. Is you start by misstating the other person's position and then you dismantle it. Why would I believe in a God who wipes out all people who sin? And then we, as the Christians, instead of taking a step back and say, hey, wait a minute. Is that what we truly believe about God? We immediately get defensive. We say, well, no, and God who, and God who? And instead of asking ourselves, hey, wait a minute, is that what we believe? How can I go to a church that teaches I need to believe in six literal days of creation and that the earth is only 4,000 years old? And we start jumping into the church to say, well, the church is this and the church. Wait a minute. Who told you that's what we believe? How could I read a Bible? How could I read a Bible that begins with stories of talking snakes? And how could I believe in a Bible that tells me about a talking snake and a worldwide flood and all that stuff? Well, what I'm asking you in this series, before you begin defending the position that's being argued against, take a step back and ask yourself, is that truly what we believe? Is that truly something that I have to believe in order to be a Christian, in order to follow God? And what we're seeing in this series is maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe someone has tricked us. Maybe some of those smart people on the TV, people like we hear, Sam Harris, who's speaking, who's written many, many books, maybe he's throwing us a curveball by saying, all Christians believe this. And we ask ourselves, hey, wait a minute. Is that truly? Maybe it's true that modern versions of Christianity believe that. But what we're looking at here is the ancient version of Christianity. The Christianity has been passed down from the first, second, third, fourth, fifth century to us. And what we're seeing is the ancient version of Christianity had a lot of this stuff figured out, didn't struggle with all this stuff because they understood the truth. One of the things we talked about last week, as I said, those who were here last week, I'm happy that you're back, didn't offend you too much. We talked about the Bible. And the Bible is like the big one. The Bible is the big one that many people out there, many people who proclaim to be atheists will tell you that the Bible has things that are wrong in it and has to tell you things that are inaccurate. And therefore, if anything is wrong in the Bible, the whole thing is wrong. You've heard that before, right? And we just kind of take that and we start defending. Wait a minute. Who says... If there's one thing wrong in the Bible, then the whole thing is wrong. Like, who told you that? If you read a newspaper and there's one article that has a mistake, does that mean everything in the newspaper is a mistake? Does that mean every issue from the past is a mistake? And everything, like if you open the, the, the newspaper on September 12th, 2001, on September 12th, 2001, and in the obituary column, they had a spelling mistake on someone's name. Does that mean that the events of 9-11 didn't happen? Because if you find one thing wrong in the newspaper, the whole thing is, 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 not, is not true. Who said that? Who made that up? We, ancient faith, have never looked at the Bible as a textbook. Never looked at it as, as like God dictated every single letter. We look at the Bible. The Bible is less a book. This is a great way to solve this for a lot of people who struggle with the Bible. The Bible is less like a book and more like a library. It's a collection of books. And some of those books, just like in a library, you say, there's some science books, there's some fiction books, there's some encyclopedia books, there's different kinds of books. And in our Bible is a collection of books, some to be read literally. Jesus rose on the third day, some to be read very literally, some to be read figuratively, some to be read, I don't have the faintest idea how to be read because I didn't write them and they're written so far, and the church is okay with that. But don't say, because one thing is wrong in the Bible, then the whole Bible, who said that? That's never been Christianity. Whoever told you that is misrepresenting God, 
misrepresenting the church. And that's where the series of Clear the Air comes in. I'm hoping that if you have stepped away from God, again, I'm not saying that you've gone to the step and say, I'm a proud atheist and I don't believe in God. And I don't, and I don't think that most people do that. What I think most people do is just say, not that I want to step towards atheism, but I'm just going to step a little bit away from God. And I'm telling you, you cannot step away from something without stepping towards something else. And a lot of us have said, you know what? I step a little bit away from God, a little bit away from God. And I'm telling you where that leads to is dangerous. Maybe you were raised in a place where you could not question faith. You were raised in a church where you were taught, just believe, just believe, just believe, just believe. And if someone says, but uh, they say, just believe, just believe, don't ask questions. Don't ask those fact questions. We're just all talking faith around here. And there's a statement, maybe you've heard this when you were growing up, you grew up in a Christian school, you grew up in the South somewhere, that when you're asking these science questions, all we care about is what the Bible says. Because if the Bible says it, that settles it. Never heard that before? The Bible says it, that settles it. And some of us grew up that way. And if you were raised that way, and then you get to college, and someone says to you, there's evidence, I'm sorry, there's no evidence that there was ever a worldwide flood. There's no evidence that the people who say the earth is only 4,000 years old, if you kind of take the Bible's dating, the earth is 4,000 years old, there's evidence that says the earth is 3.7, or the universe is 3.7 billion years old. And you're left to choose. Do I go with the faith, the belief from my childhood, or the facts of my adulthood? And a lot of people say, you know what? The facts, man, they're not going anywhere. So a lot of us side with the facts because we were given a false alternative that we had to choose between childhood faith and adult facts. And this whole point of this series is we're trying to clear the air. We're trying to clear the air. And you know, from the very beginning of time, from the very beginning of time, the very beginning of time, humanity has struggled with trying to figure out who God is. From the very beginning of time. And the whole idea of atheism and not believing in God is a relatively new thing. People always believed in God, but they were just different versions of God. And that's what people struggle with today. Is people may be misrepresenting God, giving you a version of God, and you are not believing that version. And I say, good for you. Because you know there was a time when the most advanced civilization in the world believed in Zeus and Thor and, 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 and Aphrodite and all those gods, the most advanced people. And there was a time when the most advanced people believed that the God was the sun or the moon or Jupiter or Mars. And there was a time when actually the most advanced people on this earth believed that God was a human being. Pharaoh was God incarnate. Or Caesar was the deified king. And here's the ironic thing. You know Christians in the first century were seen as atheists. Christians were the original atheists. Because when the world said, God here, God there, God's everywhere, Christians said, no, we deny all those gods. We don't believe in those gods. And they were called atheists. And they were told that they are denying the existence of God. And they said, it's not that we deny God. It's just that we think that you guys got the wrong God. And that's what this series is all about. To try to figure out who is the true God. And today what we are going to do, is kind of a continuation from week one. For those who are here week one, all right, as I said, I've said throughout this series, is the way I prepare sermons, all right, they only give me 40 minutes to talk up here every week, but I got a lot to say. So 40 minutes just doesn't cut it. So I prepare three-hour sermons. But because they only give me 40 minutes, I kind of divide it up. So this is really one long sermon. So if you're just kind of jumping in here today, you didn't really get the context, go on to the website, sts8.church, click on the well, you can get caught up, all right? Because we're kind of coming in the middle of the movie right here. And in week one, I introduced the idea of the false gods, the gods I grew up with. 
And we talked about boyfriend God and bodyguard God and on-demand God and anti-science God. We talked about the different gods of our youth that we were raised with that aren't really God. And I said, if you walked away from that God, like, good for you. If you deny that God because that God doesn't exist. Well, there's actually a sixth God that I didn't talk about because this God deserves his own week. And that is Gap God. You ever heard of Gap God? As opposed to, like, Abercrombie God? Gap God. Oh, and by the way, before I get into it, one of the things that someone told me last week. Someone said last week I was talking about how where, it's not the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, but I used a whole bunch of Bible verses. So I'm using Bible verses to make my point, and someone may not believe in the Bible, so you're using an argument that I don't believe in. So today what I'm going to do is I'm not going to use one Bible verse. And I'm going to show you that it's like, you say, I don't trust the Bible, I don't trust the Bible. Okay, well, let's just go logic. Today we're going to go logic, and I'm actually going to use a lot of stuff that you might hear in the world today to prove to you logic, okay? To disprove this gap God. See how far I get. Gap God says what? Gap God is the following. Gap God is, I'm driving down the street, and I'm driving by the mall, and a parking spot just opened up. God must want me to go shopping. Gap God is, I'm on my way to an event, light turns red, God must not want me to go to this event. Gap God is, I met the greatest boy. He's the nicest boy in the whole world. No, he's not. He's a loser. He ain't got no job. All his friends hate him. But we have the same initials. It must be from God. Gap God says, I'm being facetious, obviously. Anything I can't explain equals God. Gap God is the explanation of anything I can't currently explain. Basically, it's the catch-all of something I don't know the answer to. It must be from God. Now, obviously, I was being silly in the examples that I just gave a minute ago. It sounds like a good thing to see the hand of God in everything. But let me tell you how this is dangerous. How it is dangerous to rest your explanation for unexplainable is God. Let me tell you why that's dangerous. Why did the Hurricane Katrina destroy New Orleans and not Washington, D.C.? Why did my son get sick, not your son get sick? Why does my dad have cancer, not your dad? Why did your sister get healed and my friend did not get healed? If all we rest our faith in God on is anything we can't explain, oh, it's from God, oh, it's from God, you can see how this is going to get us into a little bit of trouble. So what I want to do today is talk a little bit about Gap God and how Gap God does not exist. Now, this discussion of Gap God can take us into one of two directions. Now, I'm going to be specific on only one because I want us to be focused. This, this discussion of Gap God can go in the direction of why does bad stuff happen to good people? And why is there evil, suffering, injustice, pain? That could be one direction. I'm not going to talk about that today. Not because it's not important, because actually we're going to save that. That's an entire session we're going to have in two weeks. After we finish this Clear the Air series, we're going to start a new series. We're going to talk about those different gods, each one by one, and we're going to talk about this bodyguard God and why God allows bad stuff to happen. So I'm not going that direction. Not that it's not important, but it's not our topic for today. The other direction of Gap God is a more scientific discussion, a more logical, rational discussion of if there's something that we don't know why it is or where it came from, does that mean that it's from God? Diseases that we haven't figured out from God? Natural disasters, no reason from God? Tragedies from God? When we were kids, okay, maybe you when you were a kid too, we thought lightning was what? 
We thought lightning was God coughing. You remember that? Okay, was that just me? Okay, lightning, or sorry, thunder was God coughing. All right, and I won't tell you what we thought rain was. Okay, but <laughs> this is a dangerous position to believe. Why? Let's agree. Okay, we're going to go logic here today. If you're a logical, analytical, rational person, scientific mind, engineering mind, you're going to be good with me here today. Logically, why is it dangerous to rest our faith on God in the unexplainable? True or false? The list of unexplainable things today is less than it was yesterday. True or false? True. And by the same token, the list of things that we can now explain that we couldn't explain 100 years ago is more. True or false? True. We can explain a lot more today than we could yesterday. And tomorrow there'll be more things that we can explain. And we as Christians, we love this, don't we? Like we love this. We are not against this. Don't we wish that everything, like for example, don't we wish that every disease can be cured? Don't we wish that? Don't we wish that science would advance to the point to be able to say, you know what? Now we figured out the cure for cancer. Cancer is no more a mystery. Don't we wish that? Don't we wish there's a cure for AIDS? Don't we wish there's a cure for every disease? Yes, we do. And if you don't say yes, then you ain't never met someone who suffered with a disease. You ain't never sat with a, with a father whose child was born with cerebral palsy. You ain't never sat in a, in, a, in a waiting room with someone who's waiting to see what's going to happen to their dad who's suffering with ALS. And if you don't want diseases to be, you don't want science to advance, then you don't know any human, you don't have any blood inside you. But that's what we want. Would anybody say, if scientists came back to us and said, you know what, cancer, we just, we can't figure it out. So we just think it's from God. We think cancer's from God to teach us a lesson and we don't really know what it is. Would anybody be satisfied with that? The unexplainable is not evidence for the existence of God. The unexplainable is evidence of the ignorance of humanity. Sam Harris, leading proponent of atheism. Find him all over YouTube. Very well spoken, very articulate. One of the things that he says. He says, we must pay attention to the frontiers of our ignorance because it is there that advancement is made. Do we as Christians agree with this statement? Absolutely. Absolutely. I do not want us as a human race to accept ignorance. I want us to be on the frontiers. I want us to be where it is that we haven't made discoveries. We as Christians, we should be the ones who embrace science and discovery and technology more than anybody. We want to discover more about the universe. We want to discover more about how humans are put together. We want to discover everything that we can about our, our, our human race and where it evolved from and all those things. Now, some people object and say the following. If we were to explain everything, then we'd be God. Heard this before? If we were to explain everything, then we'd be God. Says who? Who said that? I have a cell phone right here. And some of you, maybe some of you can prove my point. Like, I'm, there's very talented people right here. I know people who work in all kinds of great industries, very accomplished engineers. Let's say there's someone amongst us right now, all right, who understood how a cell phone worked. Not just like understand, like I push the button in favor and favor. Who understood like, like how the plastic is made and how the, the, the chips are inside and how the Wi-Fi connects with... Like let's say there's someone who understood the ins and outs of a cell phone, every little detail about how it's made. Like for us, it's a mystery. We don't really know. But someone who understood all that, would that person then deduce that there's no need for a creator for the cell phone? Like because I know how a cell phone is made, and how it works. Does that mean that there didn't need to be someone who put it together? 
I would in fact argue the opposite. That the one who understands it the most is probably the one who realizes that this thing required someone to put it together, the program. So I'll say it this way. It's not the unexplainable that points to God, but rather the explainable. It is not the unexplainable that points to God, but rather the explainable. It's the mundane. It's the average ordinary runs like clockwork that shows us that there's a God. And I'll give you an example. If you, like me, believe that everything was created by God, I would say it's safe to say that the majority of people are here. I understand some people don't, okay, but that's what I believe, and probably the majority of us believe that everything is the universe, the universe, all time, all space, all matter was created by God. Everyone good? And then you, like me, take seriously what science says, even though it's not written in the Bible exactly, but that science says that it all started at a moment, at a point of singularity. That's what, that's what science teaches, is that the, the universe started at a point and then expanded. You believe that. And from that point, God set into motion the expansion of the universe. Okay, the process of natural selection and evolution and all the stuff that we were told that we are not allowed to believe because it's against Christianity, which is simply not true for most of it. There are a lot of very prominent Christians, great Christians, I'll talk about some of them, who believe very much in evolution, both macro and micro, and there's nothing that says that you can't. Okay, but I'll leave that one for right now. If you believe that God created all, and it started at a moment in time, that there was no time and there was time, that there was no universe and there was a universe, that there was no nature and then there was nature, if you believe that God created it all on the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, we know days, not 24 hours, and then God stopped creating, what would you expect to see in the universe today? If you believe it was created by God in a moment in time, and then God stopped creating, that God is not more still continuing to create, that God pretty much said on that seventh day, you know what? I did a good job. I'm pretty, like, been there, done that. Like, I'm good with creation. I'm done creating. What would you expect to find in the universe? You would expect a predictable, stable, and explainable universe. Would you not? You would expect that things happen by, in a logical fashion. You would not expect there to be chaos. You would not expect there to be randomness. You would be able, you would say that God created it all and our God is a God of order. Therefore, the universe can be observed and one can deduce patterns and one can see how one leads to another, which is another way of saying science. Did you know that the church, Christianity, launched the modern science movement? The church, the Christians, were the first ones who started science. You know why? Because we were the first ones that said, before Christians, the world, if there was a tornado, or there was lightning, or there was fire, you know how they describe that? You know how they explain that? How would they explain that? The gods are angry at us. The gods are angry. And why did that city burn? Because the gods are angry at that city. And why did this city prosper? Because the gods are happy with this city. And they believed in a world which was at the whims of the gods. And the gods were happy with you, and you prospered. The gods were not happy. And then it was Christians who came and said, no. No, we don't believe in the gods. We don't believe that our life is in the whims, by the whims of the gods. We believe that our God is a God of order, a God of structure, a God who put things into place for a reason. 
And therefore, if you study this stuff, you can discover patterns. You can predict stuff, which is exactly the purpose of what science is. So for us, get rid of that. We don't, we never, Christianity never had this idea of it's God or science. It's faith or science. It's religion or science. We never had that. We said it's because of our faith and because of our God that we believe in science and that we believe that science can predict what happens in the world. Give you a quote right here from an anonymous scientist. It says, the debate isn't between faith and science. It's between good science and bad science. Darwinists are practicing bad science by ruling out intelligent causes before they look at the evidence. Like the opponents of Galileo, they observe, I'm sorry, they ignore observation. If I were to study a painting and see the beauty of that painting, I would not then deduce that there must be no painter. In fact, the more I study the painting, the more I appreciate the painter. And in fact, can you truly know if I say, hey, Picasso was a great guy. Hey, Picasso was a great guy and he was a smart guy. Okay, you know what's going to convince me he's a great guy? Show me his paintings. You can't know Picasso apart from the paintings. You can't know Beethoven apart from the third or fourth or sixth symphony or whatever it was. You can't know the artist apart from the art. And you can't truly know God apart from his creation. So we see no, we see no, no, no dilemma here. They've never heard of a guy named Francis Collins. I never heard of Francis Collins. Okay, a few people, smart people. Francis Collins, for those of you who don't know, Francis Collins is a big deal. Okay, I'll just say that very, very simply. He's a big deal. He was the head of something called the Human Genome Project. You heard what this is? Human Genome Project? So let me just say, big deal means big deal. He's currently the director of the NIH, which is the National Institutes, not Institute, which I found out recently. I always thought it was National Institute of Health. It's National Institutes of Health. And this is a position that is appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. He is the head of it. He was appointed by President Obama, and he continues to serve now under President Trump. He's been the, the, the director of the NIH since 2009. He's a big deal. And anybody who is in the world of science knows who Francis Collins is. You know why I think Francis Collins is a big deal? Because he is someone who used to be an atheist and is now a strong proponent of God and Christianity. And it is not, not because of faith, not because of a sermon, not because of a Bible study, but because he deduced the existence of God based on ration, logic, and his mind. Like his favorite verse, if you hear him speak, is love Lord God with all your heart, soul, and all your mind. That's his favorite verse. And he deduced the existence of God and became a passionate and strong believer based on this. And I won't go into everything he says. I put the book up here. He wrote a book called The Language of God, which is an absolutely fantastic book. I heard him speak about it, and I read some excerpts from it this past week. Great book. If you struggle with this, God and science, and how can I be believing in science? And he's one of the ones that, like I said, embraces evolution and will tell you that the evidence of evolution, like it's gotten to the point where even we as the Christians can't deny that there is evolution, okay? But our understanding of how it works is different than maybe what people will tell you in the media. Great book to read right here if you struggle with this. In it, I'm going to summarize at a very, very, very low level. So don't take what I'm going to say as what he said, but I'm going to take his understanding of what brought him to a, a belief in God at a very simple level. He says the following. Three facts. Something exists. Something can't come from nothing. That's what science teaches us, and logic teaches the same. Therefore, there must be a necessary first cause. Simple. Something exists. Everyone would agree that. If you say, I don't think something exists, you exist. And therefore, I, you, like something exists. Something exists. 
Something cannot come from nothing. So therefore, there must have been someone who was above the something to create that something. Nature. The one who created nature has to be above nature. Nature cannot create nature. Someone has to be above nature. Or better way of saying that is supranatural. Or supernatural. The one who created time cannot be bound by time. The one who created time, if you believe that there was a time when there was no time, and there was when there was nothing, and then there was something, then the one who created the something has to be above the something. If you listen to people argue against the existence of God, you'll hear them talk about, no, we don't believe in God. We believe the universe created itself. Okay, let's, let's go further on that. And you hear them describe the universe. What is the universe? Give me a definition of the universe or nature or mother nature, whatever, whatever. And I'm telling you, as you hear them describe the universe or nature, you know what they're describing? God. They're describing a universe that is outside of the universe, that is above the universe, that is above nature and above time that brought it all into being. So they may not use the word God, but what they're basically saying is there is someone who set all this stuff into motion. And I'm saying, yeah, his name is God. Because it would be illogical to think otherwise. Now, some of you are sitting there, I can read some of you. Some of you are sitting there saying, I don't care about any of this stuff. I don't care about it. You're talking language of God and genome what, and I don't care about any of this stuff. Let me just pray, love God, love Jesus, go home, have a meet. Like, that's it. Let me make it easier for you. Easy for you. And we got to be prepared for this, okay? Because people around you will ask you about this. Once upon a time, there was a group of mice. A group of mice lived inside a piano. Piano in the house, mice who live inside it. And every day, the piano player would come, and he would start to play and make beautiful music. And when the mice heard the music, they didn't know where it was coming from. They came up with, they loved the music. It brought them great comfort to their hearts. This, this music is so beautiful. It must be sent. And they came up with a mythical figure called the great player. The great player. And they used to talk about the great player comes every day and plays his music because he loves us and he comforts us. And they loved it. And then one day, a rambunctious little mouse decided to sneak out the whatever and climb up into the thing. And he said, oh my goodness, you know what I discovered here? Wires. And his piano has wires. And it's not a great player who's making the music, it's the wires. And there's long wires and short wires and tight wires and a little bit looser wires. And it's the wires that are making the music. And he came back down to the mice and said, people, I made a great discovery. Y'all believe in this thing called a great player. It's not a great player. It's wires. Like, it's wires. And come, let me show you. And he showed them the wires. And they said, oh, wait a minute. So the music is not from a person. It's from the wires. And he said, yes. Some little mice said, no, no, you know what? We believe in the great player. And they were mocked and jeered and looked at as idiots. How could you believe in this mythical great figure? I'm giving you proof. It's wires. A little bit later, another more advanced mouse jumped up and got a little bit further in the piano and said, look, it's not just wires, but they're these hammer things. <laughs> these hammer things that go up and down and control the wires. So yes, it's not just the wires. It's the wires plus the hammer. You'd have to really be an idiot now to believe in this idea of a great player. Because you didn't accept the wires? Okay, but I'm telling you, the hammer plus the wires. 
Who's naive? The one who believes in the great player? Or the one who denies his existence? Science and faith, you want to put how to put them together, you put them together this way. Science without faith, <clears throat> think of the mice. Science without faith is foolish. It's foolish. To think that the wires are playing themselves, simply foolish. Faith without science is immature. To say, you know what? I'm a, I don't believe in wires. I believe in the great player and no wires, no hammers. I'm not going to look at those things. Stick my head in the sand. Is immature. The goal is faith strengthened by science. Because science, by its definition, does not explain who. It explains how. Science, by its definition, is to observe and explain the natural universe. But what about the one who is above nature? Science can only observe what is created, but it cannot explain how it was created. Science can only tell us what, is, what we can see, what we can measure, what we can feel. But science cannot tell us who created those things. And that's why for us, get rid of this idea that it's science or God. And I have to reject one to be part of the other. Simply put, that is not true. St. Augustine says the following. And this is a warning to us Christians, to the church, who is quick to rebuke science because it doesn't match what we were taught in our Sunday school when we were kids. Be careful. St. Augustine says this, In matters that are so obscure and far beyond our vision, we find in Holy Scripture passages which can be interpreted in very different ways without prejudice to the faith we have received. What he's saying right there is we read things in Scripture like, for example, a serpent spoke to Adam and Eve. And there's different ways to interpret that. It doesn't mean a snake like we know necessarily. It doesn't mean that he was speaking English the way it's written in the Bible for us. There's different ways to interpret that. And we as Christians, the way you interpret it does not have any prejudice to our faith. So we must be careful in such cases, such cases. We should not rush headlong and so firmly take our stand on one side that a further progress in the search for truth justly undermines his position, we too fall away. Some of us may have been taught the Bible gives a history of mankind, and if you add up all the years that are in the Bible, the earth is 5,000 years old. Some people, churches, Christians, again, people like me, pastors, priests, preachers, said, you either accept 5,000 years or you against God and the Bible. And St. Augustine, from the 3rd third, third or 4th century, warns us and says, look, the Bible was not given as a textbook. The Bible was not given as a science book. The Bible was given as revelation to man. And if you tell me that the earth is 5,000 years old, okay, are you telling me that the earth is 3.7 billion years old? Okay. Doesn't rock my faith. Doesn't shake my faith in any way. Now, if you tell me that Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin, died on a cross, rose from dead on the third day, that's a different story. But you tell me that the worldwide flood may not have been a worldwide flood. Okay. 
I was raised to believe it's a worldwide flood, and I'm kind of happy believing it's a worldwide flood. But you may say, no evidence. Okay. Our faith does not rest on there being a worldwide flood. Our faith does not rest on these unexplainable things. Well, God did it for a reason. Our faith is much stronger than that. So we are not afraid of science. Are we? Are we afraid of science? No. We appreciate science. We want more science. We want more diseases cured. We want more planets discovered. We want more figuring out how this universe works. We want more of that, and we encourage that. And if you're a scientist, man, you go full speed ahead. And you make this world a better place, not away from God, not thinking that because you found the wires that there's no player. But you understand the player better by your discovery of the wires. We embrace that together. A man named Dr. James Tour who is a nanotechnologist. I have no idea what a nanotechnologist is, but if that's your title, you can pretty much say whatever you want and you're gonna get credibility, okay? Says the following. Says, I stand in awe of God because of what he has done through his creation. Only a rookie who knows nothing about science would say science takes away from faith. If you really study science, it will bring you closer to God. Why? Because you will realize that the wires and the hammer have no life in and of themselves. The more you study the wires, the more you dig inside the wires, you will, read, you will realize that these wires cannot give life to other wires. And these hammers cannot give life, cannot push themselves. And the more we study God's creation, the more we study the painting, the more Picasso and his mind become clear for us. And we are not afraid of science. On your handout, at the bottom, I put a list of resources. And those are, I give you one website, which is biologos.org, which is actually the website created by the foundation of Dr. Francis Collins. All right? And I also put some books on there, including his book and two other books. So if you want to read more about this, okay, I, I encourage you to dig in and see how you do not have to choose between God and science. And the reason why I wanted to put those resources, one of the things that breaks my heart Telling you, go out there and you start to watch these YouTube discussions between atheists and Christians, and you, your heart, my heart breaks that the people having these discussions are only the people at the two extremes. They bring the people who believe science, 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 no creator, no God, only an idiot. And then they bring the guy on the opposite end of the spectrum who says, We don't believe in science, six literal days, and we believe that all the animals fit in the ark exactly like it. And you bring people on the op, and you, you think these are the two that you have to choose from. And I say, No. Like it saddens my heart. That there aren't people who are preaching the truth, which is right there in the middle. This says it's not science or God. It's science and God. So I encourage you to dig into that. The last thing I want to say, and I want everyone to listen carefully to me here on this one, especially if you think this topic hits you. If you walked away from God because of anything I discussed over the past three weeks, science, boyfriend God, Bible, evolution, creation, you walked away from God because of any of those reasons. And like I said, even if you didn't walk away in like a formal proclamation, I'm now an atheist, I don't believe in God, like even if you didn't go that far, but if you just distance yourself a little bit, you may not admit this, but I'm about to say, but I believe what I'm about to say is very true. I don't think that's the real reason you walked away from God. You may, that may be the reason that you give, how can I believe in a God who? 
How can I go to a church that? How can I read a Bible that? That may be what you say. You may have even convinced yourself of that. But I actually don't think that's the real reason. And next week, I want to tell you what I think the reason is. Oh, okay. It's a three-hour sermon. I told like, it's the next point on my outline, but it's another 40 minutes. Because I think you walked away for a very different reason. And I'm going to challenge you next week to come back, to hear what I have to say, and to ask yourself the tough question. Why did I walk away? I don't think that there's a soul in this universe that thinks that life without God is more appealing than life with God. No one walks and says, you know what? I want to believe in a hopeless existence. I want to believe that there's no purpose in this life. I want to believe that it's only, that there's no soul, there's no eternity, that it's just biology and chemistry and physics. Like, that's all there is. Nobody finds that appealing. But you just may have found the alternative unappealing. And I get that. And my heart goes out to you. But I'm going to invite you to reconsider. Because I don't think you really want this. And if you actually extrapolate where this leads you down the road, it's not a pretty place. So I'm going to invite you to come back next week. And we'll get together next week. We're going to talk about the real reason that you may have walked away from God. And it may surprise you. It may open some places that you may not really want to discuss. But I believe it's important that we dig in there to get to the root of it. Because no one wants to live a life without God. No one wants to live that kind of existence. So come back next week and we'll talk more about it. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that there's more to this life than just what meets the eye. We know that, Lord. And, and, and our minds tell us that there has to be more. And we know, Lord, that you brought us into this existence for a reason and a purpose, and it's more than just to make money and go on vacation. So I pray, Lord, that you'd help each one of us during this coming week to really do some soul searching, see why it is that we may have stepped away from you, what it is that's causing us to, 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 to pull away, and that you would prepare our hearts, Lord, prepare our hearts, Lord, to receive the message next week to come back to you, what it is that may be ailing us, Lord, that you would solve it as only you can. I pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, prayers of all of your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.